Amen. Lord, there's nothing else that we can live for other than you. Nothing else in this world will outlast it. You are the Alpha, the Omega, the creator of the universe. And what a privilege it is that we can live for you, that we can know you, that we can walk with you. And Lord, that we can look forward to spending eternity with you. Lord, I pray right now as we go to your word, Lord, just prepare every heart that's here. Lord, just we thank you and praise you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit is the one that ministers to us, Lord. So soften us and prepare us and speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome again to Calvary Santa Cruz. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and we will be happy to loan you one. If you don't have a Bible, you'll need one. So raise your hand. Don't be shy. It's okay. And if, if you don't have a Bible at home or you like that one better, please take that as our gift. Calvary Chapel, we have a saying, read the book. What? Don't wait for the movie. So read that thing, right? Get that Bible out, all right? And we encourage you to do that. Okay, if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 4, chapter 5. We continue our verse-by-verse study to the, the New Testament. Just checking, making sure you guys are paying attention. You guys were here last week, right? All right, let me catch you up real quick. If you're, if you're new here this morning, here at Calvary Chapel, we just teach verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter, right through the Bible. All the, every single letter, every single line, every single word is from God, and we're not going to skip over any of them, amen? Put them in the Bible for a reason, so we're going we're gonna to look at them. And sometimes they're, they're uh, encouraging, sometimes they're exhorting, sometimes they they're, uh, bring us to our knees, amen? And we need to do all of those things when it comes to our relationship with the Lord. Well, the four Gospels come first, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which tell us the story of Jesus' life. If you're new here, they're called Gospels. Gospel means the good news. I want to encourage you, if you haven't been reading your Bible much, start by reading the Gospels and get to know the person of Jesus Christ. As you move from the Gospels, you get to the book of Acts, which comes next. That's the Acts of the Apostles, and also can be called the Acts of the Early Church, or the Holy Spirit, where Jesus had ascended back into heaven, and now He gave His Holy Spirit to the new church, and filled them with His Spirit that they might speak mightily for Him. And we saw the apostles, Peter and Paul in particular, being used mightily by God to start with the first century church and it grew like rapidly. They turned the world upside down as it says in the book of Acts. Now we get to Romans and we go from what is a story form in the Bible now to an epistle. And an epistle is just a fancy word for a letter. And Romans is a letter written by Paul while sitting in a Corinthian jail and he wrote it to the church in Rome, a church he had never even met before. And what he did was he, he wrote to them, encouraging them with the truth of God's of doctrine, of what it, meant, what it means to be a follower of Christ. And so while the Gospels are a picture of Christ, in the book of Acts we see the move of the Holy Spirit, now we understand why Jesus had to die. So the first three chapters of Romans, as we saw, is the doctrine of sin. How we are all sinners in need of a Savior. That's why Jesus died. He died because we're sinners and we desperately need our sin to be paid for. God can't have one sin in heaven or He's got earth part two. And so we cannot enter into heaven apart from being saved, apart from being cleansed of our sin. So the first three chapters is the doctrine of sin and now we're moving on to the doctrine of salvation. The word there is justified. We've been talking about this. We're going to talk about this some more this morning. Justified. The easy way to remember what that means, just as if I never sinned. You've been justified. No longer dead in your sins, but now alive in Christ. And so we're gonna, then we'll later, as we move on, we'll look at the doctrine of God's sovereignty. If you didn't know this, God is totally in control of everything. Amen? Amen. Nothing happens by chance. God's faithful. He's in charge. You can't vote God out of office no matter what people do. 
right? And so we're going to see that as we move on. We're also going to see the, the doctrine of, of sanctification, what it means that once we've been justified, now we live set-apart lives to God. And then finally, the doctrine of service. But this morning, as we pick up in chapter 5, we're going to look again, just to, to bring us up to speed on the last couple of chapters, we've established in the first three chapters that all men are under sin. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. Nobody is righteous. There's no one who does good, the Bible says. By the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified. The Bible taught us in the first three chapters that by the law is the knowledge of sin. So understanding we are sinners and we miss the mark and that God is holy and perfect, how, do, how are we restored back to Him? Well, last week we looked at the message that I entitled, Understanding God's Grace. And it's the thing that people struggle with today. Do I work my way to heaven? Or... Did God pay it all? And if He paid it all, then do I have to live any different? Trying to understand the message of God's grace. And I want to encourage you, if you struggle with that, grab the tape from last week. They're always free here. Just help yourself. They're on the back table. Unless they're on a tape table. I don't know. They're on the back table, I think. All right? But I want to encourage you because understanding God's grace, and what we understand about God's grace is real clear. It's not obedience that produces faith. It's faith that produces obedience. It's not behaving. It's believing. It's not trying, it's trusting. It's not do this, do this, do this, it's done. Amen? And since we've been born again and we're new creations in Christ, we should live in holiness. We should pursue God. But we don't pursue God and try really hard so somehow God will love us. That's not grace. If it was works that would save us, it would be a paycheck, not a free gift. Amen? And we don't earn salvation. Christ said it is finished on the cross. So in Romans chapter 4, we clearly saw it's not faith or works, or faith plus works, it's faith that works. And that's what happens with us when we give our lives to Christ. We come to Romans chapter 5. And now as we come to Romans chapter 5, we've seen in Romans 3 that we're justified by faith. Then in chapter 4, we saw the illustration of what justification is, understanding God's grace. And now we're going to see how it should transform our lives. And this should be a great encouragement to you this morning. As we look at the text... I'm going to give you several things, several uh, fruits of justification, and we're going to see then what makes justification possible. So let's begin in verse 1, looking at fruits of justification. Again, remembering, just as if we've never sinned. So I've been born again, I'm, I'm a new creation in Christ, now what? And one last point. Remember last week I said that there are people that once in a while will say to me, or you maybe you hear it, it's hard to be a Christian. Let me tell you right now, it's hard to be an unbeliever. Amen? It's very hard. You're walking in darkness. You don't understand what life's all about. You're trying to fill that God-shaped vacuum with everything under the sun. And your flesh will never be satisfied. And it's an empty, vain existence. But when we come to know Christ, we understand what life's all about. Does it mean we're on the cruise ship to heaven and everything's always perfect? No. But when we go through difficulty, it's for God's glory that we might become more like Him. And so as we get to Romans chapter 5, we're going to look at the fruits of of justification, just as if I've never sinned, I've been born again. Now what does justification mean in my life? Look at verse 1 of Romans chapter 5. Therefore, having been justified. Let me just take a moment and talk about that. Having been justified. Justification is not an ongoing work. It's not a 12-step program to heaven. Amen? You're not on step 5 or 9 or 12. It's not Jesus plus joining an organization. It's Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Now, it's Jesus Christ's work on the cross, you believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth that He is Lord and you're saved. And that's it. And sadly, people think, well, I've got to do this and this and this. No, you don't. 
No, you don't. Because when, if you say that you have to do more, then you're saying the cross was not enough. You're saying that the, the, the work of the cross was not sufficient. Jesus was lying when he said, it is finished. He didn't say, that's a good start. Amen? He didn't say, we're on our way now, that's step two. He didn't do that. What he said is, it is finished. And praise God, aren't you so glad there aren't 900 steps to heaven? Aren't you glad you don't have to crawl on your knees to Mecca? Aren't you glad you don't have to do all these rules and rituals and keep all this stuff? But all you have to do is believe in Jesus Christ and accept Him as Lord and Savior, and you have been justified. Which means if someone says to you, are you going to heaven, what do you tell them? Absolutely. Not I hope so. Not I think so. It breaks my heart. I meet someone, you going to heaven? Well, I sure hope so. Oh, wait a minute. You haven't met Jesus then, because if you meet him, you know that you know that you know you have been justified. Done deal. Now, we're in the process of being sanctified, becoming more like Christ, but we've been justified. The work is complete. So having been justified, done deal, new creation in Christ, been justified by works. Is that what it says? What's the word there? By faith. Faith is believing and then seeing, not seeing and then believing. You're justified by faith in Christ alone, not by good works. Again, should we do good works? Should we love people? Should we be kind? Should we pursue God? Should we walk in holiness? Yes. Do those things save us? No. Jesus did. He paid the price. To Him alone be all the glory and the honor and the praise. It says, and then look at this next part. It says, because you've been justified, what do you have? If you're taking notes, the first thing that we see is that we have peace. Now, I want to say this. If works was what saved us, you could never have peace. Because you would always be wondering if you've done enough. Have you met people like this? I, I'm trying really hard. Now, can you imagine? I, I wrote down the morning in the life of somebody who thought that I'm trying to get to heaven. And, you know, if, if you were working to get to heaven, then it was all based on your actions. So sometimes you'd be saved and sometimes you would not be saved. Kind of depending on how you're doing that day, Right? Well, I think I'm saved. Then I yelled at my wife. Now I'm not. Well, I asked for forgiveness, so I am. Right? And, and can you imagine, you know, one moment you realize I've got eternity in heaven. I'm going to be in the presence of Almighty God. No pain, no sorrow, no suffering. I'm going to worship Him forevermore. Whoops, I blew it. Now I'm facing eternity in hell. Separation from God. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. I better get right. Eternity in heaven. And can you imagine just living that kind of a life? You wake up in the morning and you pray and you have devotions. I'm going to heaven. Then while you're shaving, and this happened to me, I don't mean to tell on my wife, but I was shaving one morning, can you imagine, you're shaving one morning, your wife comes in and tells you she just backed into your brand new car in the driveway. <laughs> I love my wife, cars chaff, it doesn't matter, right? But I got a little upset, oh, I'm going to hell now, based on works, right? I blew my temper. For now I'm driving to work, and I get, I'm on my way to work, and, and I get to work, and the Lord starts convicting me, and I ask God to forgive me, and I call my wife at home and say, babe, I'm sorry, I... Shouldn't have got upset, it's just a car, and, and now I'm going to heaven again, right? But then I, I'm driving in my dented car to work, and, and on my way, some guy drives by me, cuts me off, starts screaming out the window, and I think, idiot, going to hell now. You know what I mean? Isn't that sad? And there's a back and forth, and, you know, and, then, and then you get to the office, and I'm, you're doing paperwork, and you're listening to Christian radio, and the guy's talking about, you know, you should forgive others, and oh man, yeah, I need to commit. So then you pray for the idiot, I mean the guy on the on the road who cut you off, right? And now you're going to heaven again, right? And then, but then, you know, you find out the guy down the hall got the promotion you wanted and you get jealous and envious because you wanted that. Now you're going to hell again. Can you imagine? Just, you're just going back and forth from heaven to hell all day long. 
man, I hope I don't die after I blow it, I, you know? And you know what the sad part is? And as crazy as that sound, I talk to people that believe this all day long. They truly believe that if they die and they've sinned and not asked for forgiveness, that they're going to... I'm like, whoa, I would never leave the house. I would just sit in my room, just pray, Lord, forgive me, Lord, forgive me, you know, right? Until he comes, because I want to make sure I'm covered. But here's the good news. You have been justified, amen? You've been forgiven. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. He holds you in his hand. No one will ever snatch you out of it. You're ha ha, heaven bound, as DC Talk would say. And praise God for that, amen? God's so good. And so we've been justified, so because of that, we have peace with God. So if you're taking notes, we've been justified, so we have peace. God is righteous. And because he's righteous, he was at, he's at war with those who are unrighteous. Now, they choose to be at war with God. So you are either in his family or you are at war with him. You are either his child or you are his enemy by your choice, not his. It is his desire that none should perish, no, not one. He desires to have intimate fellowship with you, but he will never force himself upon you. He's a loving and a gracious God. And so you choose to accept him and say, Lord, be my Lord. I want to I serve you. I want to be justified. I want to walk with you. Or you choose to reject him. It's up to you. But when we're born again, guess what we have now? We're no longer enemies with God. We no longer are wandering around hoping we're going to heaven, but we have peace. You know what? If you don't have Jesus Christ, you cannot have peace. You cannot have peace. It's impossible. Galatians 5.22 says, The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, and peace. And if you don't know the Prince of Peace, you cannot have peace. So only through Christ can you have peace in your life. Maybe you're here this morning, maybe you've gone to church for a long time, or maybe you're visiting and you're thinking, you know, I I try really hard, but you're right, I don't have peace. I keep trying to find something else to bring me joy and satisfaction in my life. And let me tell you what you need is Jesus Christ. Amen? And He loves you. And He desires to, to have an intimate fellowship with you. Isaiah 48 says, There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. As Christians and I, uh, you and I have peace because we do know the Prince of Peace. You've all seen that bumper sticker. N-O Jesus, N-O peace, right? No Jesus, no peace. No Jesus, K-N-O-W, no peace. If you don't know Jesus, you can have no peace, but if you know Him, you will have peace. So the fruits of justification, the first one is that we have peace with God. It doesn't get any better than that. You know, the greatest battle in the world is not going on in the Middle East right now. And it's not going on in Iraq or Afghanistan. It's a spiritual battle for lost souls. That is the greatest battle going on on this planet right now. And it's the the sadness of people being in conflict with God, walking in darkness, in desperate need of salvation. And you know what? We can point them to the Savior and let them know they can have peace with God right now. And when you have peace with God, nothing else matters. It really doesn't. The peace that surpasses all understanding. God's in control. It's okay. I can trust Him. So number one, fruit of justification, we have peace with God. Now how do we get that peace? It says there, verse 1, through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's no other way to have that peace. It's not through works. It's not through trying real hard. It's not through being a good person. It's not by being better than most. It's through Jesus Christ. Verse 2. Through whom He also gave us access by faith into grace. So not only do we have peace with God, but we have access into His grace. The word there for access in the original language in Greek means introducing or ushering someone into the presence of royalty. Man, I like that. Who's the King of Kings? Jesus. Amen? And we've been ushered in 
Because we've been justified just as if we've never sinned, now we've been ushered into the presence of Almighty God. What happened to the veil in front of the Holy of Holies when Jesus died on the cross? What happened? It was torn in two. This veil that took, you know, dozens of priests to hang, this thing was several feet thick and 60 feet tall, it tore from top to bottom because God tore it and said, you can enter into my presence anywhere and any time. And if you've been justified, you can talk to God driving on the freeway. Amen? That's what you should do when the guy cuts you off. Don't say idiot. Say, Lord, bless that guy. Amen? And so what happens is we can pray anywhere, anytime, and because we've been justified, we have access to God. I'm so glad that we don't serve a faraway, distant God. I'm so glad that God isn't only available for a few men who get to be near Him and then the rest of us peons, you know, right? There's a lot of, there's a lot of religions like that, right? Only a few have access to God. Everybody else, you know, you just aren't sophisticated enough to understand. You know what? The Bible says we're to study to show ourselves approved. A workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That's all of us, amen? We're to read the book again, be in God's word and let him minister to us. And so praise God that we have access by the power of the Holy Spirit. Having been justified through Jesus, he enters us in to the presence of Almighty God. And when we come to him, look what it says. We have access into his what? What's the word? Grace. We have access into His grace. Aren't you glad that our God is a God of grace? What do we find when we come to Christ? We don't find judgment. We don't find condemnation. We don't find vengeance. You know what we find? Grace. We find God's riches at Christ's expense. G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. He paid the price for you. When you come to Him, you find grace. He loves you. You, it's your son, you're his son or his daughter coming home. He's so blessed. He loves you so much. You're his treasured possession. Apart from Christ, we have no access to grace. You can't get it any other way. Then it says there, in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So along with access by faith, along with peace with God, we also, have, we also rejoice in hope. You know what? Do we live in a hopeless world today? We really do. We live in a world that is hopeless. But you know what? We rejoice in our hope. Amen? We can rejoice. We can have joy because we have peace with God. You know, peace with God takes care of the past. It no longer holds on to our sin. Access to God takes care of the present because we can come into His presence anywhere and anytime and speak to Him. And rejoicing in hope, the hope of the glory of God takes care of the future. Amen? Peace with God takes care of the past. Access to God takes care of the present. The hope of His glory takes care of the future. I know where I'm headed, and boy, there's just a peace that comes from that. And you know, shouldn't we rejoice more? You know, as Christians, can I encourage you? You know, we ought to be excited about our Savior. Amen? Too often, and you've heard me say this, as Christians, you know, a lot of Christians look like they've been sucking on a lemon, man. Walking around just bummed out, and, oh, yeah, I'm born again, you know, yeah, that's great. What? Dude, you're going to heaven, man. You got the get-out-of-hell-free card, man. You've been saved, right? You're, and man, we should, there should be a great joy, but not only because we have heaven to look forward to, but the Holy Spirit living in us right now. One day, we're going to be with Him in glory. We've been justified. We're being sanctified. And one day, we will be glorified. And that's something that should bring rejoicing to our hearts. You know, as you worship, when we worship here, we should be praising Him for what He's done and looking forward to what He's going to do. Amen? I love worship songs that don't put the focus on me, but to put the focus on Him. 
Not about all about me. Oh, Lord, give me. No, Lord, you're awesome. Amen? You're, you're great. You're wondrous. I love those kind. That's how we ought to worship. And that ought to be our focus and our passion and our heart. So along with the continuing on our fruits of justification, we, again, we have hope. Look at verse 3. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Now, wait a minute. I didn't sign up for that program. I, that, I didn't realize that was going to be on the list. Now, I like the peace with God. That sounds pretty good. And access to grace, I like that a lot. That sounds good. Rejoicing and hope, that's, that, all those are really, that works for me. I'm like, I, I was taking notes, right? Number four, glorying in tribulation. The word there for tribulation, you're going to like this even less when I tell you what it means. It means crushing. Glory and crushing. I love being crushed. It's great. How was your week? Got crushed. It was awesome, right? But it says glory in crushing. Why? Because as Christians, we understand that this process of crushing, where they would take, it, it describes taking olives and two large rocks and crushing them together so that the pure olive oil would pour out. And the same thing happens to us when we're crushed and we're broken and we become void of self and it's not about me anymore and my will. You know what flows out of us? The Holy Spirit. Amen? We become more like our Savior. We become less focused on us. And that's the joy of going through tribulations. It's these times of being crushed or broken that we come to the end of ourselves and realize how desperately we need the Lord's help and His strength. The ultimate example of this is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane means the place of the olive press. It's where Jesus was pressed on heavily. It says he sweated great drops of blood. He prayed, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. It's through trials that we remain desperate for God. There's no better place to be than desperate for Him. You know what? If your life was a cruise ship, you'd get on cruise control. You would. You just... Psalm 23, one of the greatest messages I ever heard was at a pastor's conference by a guy younger, a, a real young guy, Pastor John Corson's son, Peter John Corson, was in his 20s at the time, and he did a workshop, and it was on suffering. He's got Crohn's disease. And without going into detail, it's not pretty. I mean, basically, it just, it, it deals with your test. It's just not good. And he's constantly weak, and he's tore up. And you know what, though? He, he's taught on Psalm 23, and he taught about how the Bible says in Psalm 23, it talks about the, the green pastures. I'm, I, when you lie down in green pastures, when you're lying down in green pastures and everything is good, you love your master, right? It's good following God, everything's wonderful. But when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you cling to your master. Amen? You know, when you're laying in the, in the pasture, where's your guys around or somewhere? It's all good. I'm, I'm, I'm loving life. Everything's, but you know what? You've been diagnosed with cancer. You're going through a difficult time, having struggles with your children, whatever it might be. Where are you? You're not lying in the grave. You're hanging on to the Savior. And you know what? It's when we go through difficulty that we're crushed and we're pressed out. And that's when we hang on tightly to our Savior. And can I tell you, there's no better place to be than right there. Now the good news is we can glory in these tribulations because we know that it will produce fruit and make me more like the Lord in the end. You can say, hey, it's okay, because I know at the other end of this, I'm going to be more like Jesus. I know that at the other end of this, it's going to be a testimony for His glory. I know that at the other end of this, uh, the other end of this I'm going to be able to rejoice and look back and see how God's hand was on all of it. Boy, I love that. When I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, I cling to Him. It says in James 1, count it all joy, 
My brethren, when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Tribulation produces, look what it says next, knowing, glorying in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. Some of your Bibles may say patience. Perseverance produces godly character. When we go through difficulty, it teaches us to be more patient next time. When God does something awesome and you get to walk with Him and see Him work, doesn't it give you more faith for the next time around? And if you, if you never went through anything difficult, if God was a holy Santa Claus in the sky and He just gave you everything you wanted, you'd never be desperate for Him and you would never grow spiritually. It wouldn't happen. But we need to learn to glory in our tribulations because we know that through that we're going to grow spiritually. And then look at what it says. And perseverance or patience bring forth, produces character. Now I love that word because it's a word that sadly is, is foreign to the world we live in today. Reputation is what you do when everyone's watching. Character is who you are when no one's watching. And God wants us to be men and women of character, not just reputation. Who are you when you're hanging out with the Lord all by yourself? Who are you when you're at work and no one's watching? When you're on your computer and no one's watching? Who are you? That's character. And it's saying that trials and tribulations produce patience and they produce character. And finally, character produces hope. Spiritual growth and maturity develop as we learn to trust in the sovereignty of God in all things. Since God is in control, the trials that come my way according to His will, and in the end, if I trust Him, I'll be more like Him. So, so far, what have we seen? Fruits of justification. Peace with God, access to His grace, rejoicing in hope, and glorying in tribulation. Number five, let's read on. Now, hope does not disappoint, verse 5, because the love of God has been poured in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has given it to us. What is another fruit of justification? What abides in you and upon you? The love of God. Again, Christians, can I talk to you for a second? As Christians, we should be the most loving people on the planet. Amen? Not the most self-righteous, not the most condemning, not the most spiritually arrogant, We are truly one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. Amen? It's God's grace that saved us, not my holiness, not my intellect, not because I'm so wonderful, God just had to have me on His side. Amen? We're desperate for Him. And what we see here in this is that God poured out His love upon us. Man, I love that. You know what? Sometimes I'm blown away by how much God loves me. How about you? How do you determine the value of something? By what somebody's willing to pay for it. How valuable are you to God? This is how valuable. Amen? He loves you so much, He would rather die than live without you. You are His treasured possession. And when you've been justified, He pours His love out all over you. Man, I like that. Amen? We get the love of God now, and we get heaven to come. So, having been justified... We have the love of God poured out upon us. And how does He pour out the love upon us? By the Holy Spirit, whom He has given to us. The Holy Spirit is a down payment on heaven. Ephesians chapter 1. It's a down payment on heaven. How do you know for sure you've been born again? Let me tell you how you know. The Holy Spirit has come to live inside of you. Your priorities change. Your passions change. When you sin, it breaks your heart. You're not sinless, but you do sin less. Amen? 
And what happens is that when, you, when you're walking with God, there's a joy and there's a peace and you know that God is with you and you're not alone. Man, I can't imagine living this life all by myself. I can't imagine trying and struggling and striving and trying to do it on my own. I'd be a train wreck. I know I would. But praise God that He loves me and His Holy Spirit lives inside of me, so I'm never alone. Never alone. He'll never leave me. He'll never forsake me. What a great and awesome God. The inner experience of His joy and His love and His peace. Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love and joy and peace. And those are the things that we just talked about. Love, the love of God poured on us. Joy, rejoicing in hope. Peace, peace with God. Those are all fruits of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Now further proof, look at verses 6-8, through eight, that it's not our good works or our righteousness that saves us. Look what it says. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the perfect righteous people. Is that what it says? Christ died for who? The ungodly. So we all qualify. Amen? Who's ungodly in this room? Word up, right? Your hands on up, you're lying, that's it, right? Here's reality. Now, as new creations in Christ, we've been born again, amen? And now we've been made righteous. But the reality is that we were ungodly. And we were not pursuing God. And He died for us anyway, out of His love for us. And I love it says here, for while we were still without strength in, in, the, in time, Christ died, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Came not to call came to call not the righteous, but sinners to repentance, it says in Mark. Now, when did Jesus die for you? When did Jesus love you? When did Jesus start loving you? Let's read the next two verses. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When did He die for you? When you were a sinner. When did He start loving you? It says there that He demonstrates His own love toward us while we were still sinners. So it wasn't when you walked an aisle and prayed a prayer. It wasn't when you decided to follow Him that He started loving you. He has always loved you. Isn't that good? Isn't that good to know He's always loved you? Now when you raised your hand, that's when you started loving Him. Amen? When you prayed a prayer and asked Him to be your Savior, that's when you started loving Him back. But He has always loved you. For God so loved the few? The world. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Remember that the next time you're struggling with somebody, remember God loves them. Amen? The guy that's just getting on your nerves at work, God loves him. The person that you're just really struggling with, the Lord loves him and died for him. Lord, help me to love him the way you love him. Help me to see him through your eyes. I love it. So now we started doing good. It's not even when we prayed the sinner's prayer. He loves you. And He always has. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He, again, He loved us so much, He'd rather die than live without us. Moving on to verse 9. Much more than having now been justified, again, having been justified, done deal, by His blood, so that's what justifies us, His shed blood upon the cross. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness for sin. That's what the Bible says. We've been justified by His blood. We shall be saved from wrath through Him. Now this is a good one. Number six, fruits of justification, we've been saved from wrath. Now, I like that. How about you? What is wrath? Now, it's not like our wrath. Our wrath is when we just get out of control and fly off the handle, right? What is God's wrath? God's wrath is a holy and consistent reaction to that which is contrary to God's will or God's law. 
That's what it is. It's a holy and consistent reaction. But guess what? God's ra- God is a God of love and grace and mercy, but He is also a God of judgment. And judgment will come upon this, this earth, and judgment will come to all men who reject Him. And guess what? We're not going to face His wrath. Right here in this verse, if you don't know where I stand, and I'm not going to get into it because we don't have time right now, but at, here at Calvary Chapel, we believe in a pre-tribulational view, and I don't want to, you know, oh, what does that mean, Pastor? That just means this, that when God comes back to bring judgment upon the earth, we're not going to be here. Amen? He's taking us home first. He doesn't judge his children, those who love him, serve him, follow him, but judgment will come and will be in heaven when it happens. All right? He has not appointed us to wrath. And that he's not, and again here, having been justified, we will be saved from wrath, both the wrath of the tribulation and the wrath of, of eternal judgment for those who are separated from him for all eternity. We are God's children. He loves us. While he will still discipline us, he will never pour his wrath out upon us. Aren't you glad? God's on my side. How about yours? Amen? Aren't you glad you're on Team God? That's the one you want to be on, right? I, you know, I've read this whole thing. Hopefully you have too. And when you get to the back, guess what? We win. Amen? I've seen it. Revelate. That's it. We win. Devil loses. We win. Praise God. And so in the midst of the, the difficulties and the trials, understand God has not appointed you to wrath. He loves you. He has a calling on your life. Tribulation is not God's wrath. It's an opportunity for you to grow spiritually. Don't, don't run from tribulation. Say, Lord, how do you want to teach me? How do you want me to, to make, make me more like you? What else do we see? Look at verse 10 and 11. For if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only that, but also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the what? The reconciliation. That word there for reconciliation is atonement. The word for atonement in the Old Testament is kephar, which means to cover. You've been coming on Wednesday nights, we're going through Numbers, we went through Leviticus, and in the Old Testament, they would sacrifice animals to cover sin. But guess what? In the New Testament, that word for atonement changes to a word that means reconciled, fully reconciled, and that's only possible through the shed blood of Christ. Atonement at one meant. You become at one with Christ. We've been reconciled. What happened, we're going to talk about this right now, but what happened when Adam sinned? What happened to all of mankind? We were what? We were sinners and we were separated from God. And we were separated from Him. Perfect holy God, here's sinful man over here, there's perfect holy God over there. But, having been justified, the, the, the bridge has been gapped. The gap has been bridged, however you would say that, right? We're no longer over here separated from God, we've been drawn back into His presence. How do we, how do we have a relationship with perfect God when we're sinful men and women? Only by the work of the cross, having been justified, being reconciled back to God. Praise God for that. So, fruits of justification, if you're taking notes. Peace with God, access to His grace, rejoicing in hope, glorying in tribulation, the love of God poured out upon us, the Holy Spirit given to us, saved from wrath and reconciled back to God. Now lastly, these last ten verses. What makes this justification possible. We understand the fruit of justification. How is it possible that sinful man can be justified? We can't earn it. Only God could do it. So let's begin in verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned, for until the law sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Adam sin, death. 
when I taught this chapter to the youth group back when I was youth pastor for 15 years, I would always write on the chalkboard in the youth room, I'd write Adam, sin, death, and then I would write Jesus, salvation, life. When you're born under the seed of Adam, which you all were, you're all related to Adam, okay? We're all related to Noah if you want to get closer, okay? But we're all related to Adam. And since we're all related to Adam, when we were born of the seed of Adam, in a sense, right? What, what came with it? Sin and death. Results are in one out of every one person dies. Amen? And the reality is that because of sin, all people die. And because we were born of the flesh, we're all sinners. So if you've been born physically, you're a sinner and you're going to die. Adam, sin, death. It says here in this verse, through one man's sin entered the entire world. Now, you might say, that just doesn't seem fair, because Adam sinned, I'm born a sinner. Let me tell you something, you would have done worse. Amen? Adam was the best we had. He was our champion. Right? Adam was created by God without sin. Did you know that? Adam was sinless. Adam walked in the cool of the day with God in the Garden of, in the, in the Garden of Eden, right? Paradise. There was no death, there was no pain, there was no sorrow, there was no suffering. What does that sound like? Heaven, Right? And Adam's walking in the cool of the day. He can look up and talk to God anytime he wants to because he's, there's, no, there's no gap because he's not a sinner. And he was the best that we had to offer. And what did Adam do? Adam chose to sin. He succumbed to temptation and he fell into sin. And I don't even like that word fell because he ran. Amen? We don't fall into sin like someone tripped us and we didn't see it or anything, right? When we sin, we know it's coming and we choose to do it. And guess what? Because we're his children, we're born of his nature. You've heard of the Adamic nature. Now, moms with newborn babies don't like it when I tell them this, but your kid is a sinner. (laughs) Not my precious little baby, he's so sweet, right? Let me ask you a question as they get older. How many of you had to teach your kids to be selfish? (laughs) All right, here's how you do it. When the kid comes with a toy, you take it away and say, mine, mine, mine. That's what you do, right? Moms and dads, you're teaching that at home to your kids, right? No, they figure that out all by themselves, right? They're selfish, right? It's all about me. That's what children do. You know what you have to teach them? You have to teach them to be obedient. You have to teach them to be kind. You have to teach them to share. You have to teach them to be gracious. Why? Because they're born with an Adamic nature, right? You ever seen a a six-month-old just throw a fit? (laughs) Right? Is that the Adamic nature, right? Moms, I don't usually say, you know, moms will damn nature, but I don't do that, right? But that's what it is. Because we were born sinners. We're born in sin. And be, through Adam, all men have sinned. He's passed death into all of us. And you know what? What's incredible? Do you know that before Adam sinned, there was no death of any kind? Plants didn't die. Animals didn't die. Nothing died. The lion was laying down with the lamb. Period. Nothing died. He sinned, everything died. You know when you, when you prick yourself with a thorn? Thorns and thistles, thorns and weeds came from Adam's sin in the garden. Did you know that? And you moms that have had babies and had a lot of pain, talk to Eve when you get to heaven, okay? But here's the reality. It's because man chose to sin that this suffering and this torment and these thorns, why did they press a crown of thorns on Jesus' head? Because thorns came from what? Sin in the Garden of Eden. Through one man, sin came to all of mankind. Because of Adam came sin, and because of sin comes death. 
Again, verse 13 now says, For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed when there was no law. So there was sin in the world even before there was a law, because God knew in his heart, or men knew in his heart, when he was doing something contrary to God's will. But it was not accounted to man until the law. What does the law do? It reveals what? Our sin. We've talked about this. Law is a mirror. You look into it, and it reveals the blemishes. It won't save you. The law can't save you, but it does reveal that you're a sinner. Verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. So all died because all were born in the flesh and all were born of the seed of Adam. And again, you might say it's not fair, but praise God that he did it this way. Let me explain to you why. Look at verse 15. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace of one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. So because one man sinned, all men are sinners. But you know what's good about that, you guys? Can you imagine if each one of us was born sinless and then we we would all sin, I promise you, okay? If you were born sinless, you would sin anyway. Because we're all about our flesh, right? But here's the thing. If each one of us was born sinless and we could choose to sin or not to sin, then there would have to be a redeemer for every single individual. But because our sin all came through one man, guess what? Our redemption can all come through one man. Amen? One sinful man brought sin into the world and one redeemer brings redemption for all of mankind. Through one man, Adam sin, death, Jesus, salvation, life. Now, I'm not a youth pastor anymore, but... Who's your, when I I titled this message, Who's Your Daddy? Okay, it's a youth pastor, what can I say? You're either a a son of Adam, or you've become not the son, but a son of the living God, right? Adopted into his family. So you're either still in your flesh, dead in your trespasses and sins, Adam, sin, death, or you've become born again, and you're a child of the King, Jesus' salvation life. Who do you serve? Who do you follow? Who are you under? Are you, if you haven't been born again, you're under Adam, and sin's still on your account, and death is going to come, and judgment and separation from God. But if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you've been born again, you've been saved, and you have eternal life to look forward to. Amen? Adam sinned death, Jesus' salvation life. Through one man, sin came to all of mankind, and much more, through one gracious act, salvation can come to all of mankind. Verse 16. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in, what's that word? Justification. Just as if you've never sinned. Adam's sin resulted in all men being condemned. Jesus dying on the cross results in all of us who believe being justified. Just as if I've never sinned. Going back to all those fruits we saw in the first half of the chapter. Those fruits come because we can be justified and we can only be justified because Jesus died in our place. Verse 17. For if by one man's offense, death reigned through the one. Much more, those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense... Judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. If you have a Bible and you write notes, I would, I would encourage you, right by verse 18, write, Adam, sin, death, Jesus, salvation, life. 
Because that's what that verse says. Through the sin of one man, we're all sinners. But through the work of the cross, we can all be saved. Verse 19, we're almost done. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Man failed to obey God, and the result again was death. Jesus was obedient to the Father, even unto death, and the result is our justification and being made righteous. So, Pastor David, are you telling me I'm righteous? If you've been justified, yes, you are. Righteous doesn't mean that you're perfect. It means right stand. It doesn't mean right living. It means right standing. Amen? You're in right standing before God. You belong to Him. You're a child of the King. You're going to heaven. Praise the Lord for that. And it's because of the work of the cross, not your good works. Verse 20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. And in my Bible, I wrote, praise God. You know what? You might be here this morning and you might think, but pastor, you don't understand how much I've sinned. You don't, you don't know. You just don't understand. I'm not your normal, normal everyday common sinner. I, I'm a big... T- Can I tell you that there's no such thing as a normal, everyday, common sinner? We're all big-time sinners. Amen? But here's the good news. It says in this verse, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. What does that mean? You can't sin so much that God won't forgive you. Isn't that a blessing? It doesn't matter how much you've sinned, God will still forgive you if you will come to Him. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. He doesn't grade on the curve. He doesn't compare you to other men and women. He doesn't say, okay, we got Osama bin Laden down here and Mother Teresa up here, and, you know, where are you in the mix? Oh, top half goes to heaven. No, it's not how it works. He doesn't grade on the curve. He grades at the cross. Amen? And at the cross, what do we find? That he suffered and died and took all of our sin, past, present, and future, upon himself, and now we've been cleansed white as snow if we simply ask him to be our Savior and repent of our sin and seek his forgiveness. Through one man's sin, uh, sin, Through one man's disobedience, sin came to all men. Through one man's righteous acts, salvation is available to all of mankind. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. And praise God that His grace is limitless. Verse 21, So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Sin's result, death. Grace brings forth righteousness and eternal life. Let me give you some contrast. You know, Jesus has been called the second Adam. Anybody ever heard that before? Okay? Because Adam came and blew it, and Jesus came and fixed it. Amen? Adam was created sinless. Jesus is creator, is sinless, is God, always has been, always will be, not a created being, is God made manifest in the flesh. Adam, sin, death, Jesus, salvation, life. Adam came from earth, Jesus came from heaven. Adam was tested in the garden, surrounded by beauty and love, and he fell. Jesus was tested in the wilderness, and he was victorious, because he's God. Amen? He died on the cross, surrounded by hate and ugliness. Adam was a thief, cast out of paradise. Jesus turned to the thief on the cross and said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Amen? The first Adam blew it. Jesus came to restore us back to him. In the Old Testament, we see that the generations under Adam ends in a curse. In the New Testament, with Christ coming, there is no more curse. All men and women born in Adam are in sin, but all may be justified through the the second birth in Christ and experience God's grace. Everybody here has been born once. Amen? 
But Jesus said to Nicodemus, the most religious man of the day, you must be what? Born again. Well, can I crawl back into my mother's womb a second time? That's not what he's talking about. He said, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. If you're here this morning, you've been born once, and you've been born into sin, like all of us. But you know what? If you want to have your sin forgiven, you need to be born again. If you want to have the promise of eternal life, you must be born again. That's what Jesus said. So the fruits of justification, peace with God, access to His grace, rejoicing in hope, glorying in tribulation, love of God poured out on us, Holy Spirit given to us, saved from wrath, reconciled to God. But what makes this justification possible? Because Adam sinned and brought forth death, left us all condemned. Well, Jesus came. He brought salvation and life. He paid the price for all of our sin. And the good news is, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your love and Your grace. And we thank You for those of us who have been justified, just as if we've never sinned. We thank You for all the fruits of justification. We thank You, Lord, that we, have, we can have peace. We can have joy. We can have hope. That, Lord, even in the midst of difficulty, we know that You're sovereign and in control. Lord, that You've reconciled us back to the Father. But, Lord, I pray for those who might be here this morning who've been born once, but they need to be born again been born of the flesh, but they need to be born of the Spirit. Lord, your word so clearly says that if we confess you before men, you will confess us before your Father in heaven. Lord, I pray again, if there's even one here, just one, Lord, that you've drawn by your Holy Spirit, that, Father, they would respond even now. If you're a Christian, just be praying for those who may be here or not. If you're here this morning, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, you're not sure that you have, you don't understand what this whole salvation thing means, but the Holy Spirit's drawing you, and you want to know for sure that when you leave here today, you're, you're going to heaven. The Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. You want those promises to apply to you. The Bible very clearly says that you're a sinner. God can't have one sin in heaven. He's got earth part two. So how do I deal with my sin? I let Jesus pay the price for me. And all I have to do is, as the Bible again says, I have to confess that He is Savior and that He is Lord and ask Him to forgive me, and He will forgive me, and He will give me the promise of heaven. So if you're here this morning, and you want to know for sure that when you leave this place, that you've been born again, and that you're going to heaven, and you want to pray a simple prayer with me, I'm going to ask you to do something real simple. People here are praying for you. Confess Him before men, He'll confess you before His Father in heaven. I just want you to raise your hand so I can pray with you. Is there anybody here at all? Don't leave, don't leave earth without Him. He loves you so very much. No, there's a struggle in some of you. He loves you. God bless you in the back row. Anybody else? The Lord loves you. You can know for sure when you leave here, you've been born again and you're going to heaven. God bless you. Anybody else? The Lord loves you guys. Let's pray. Everybody praying with me with these that have raised their hand. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you this morning and I confess that I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me for my sin to make me a new creation, to fill me with your Holy Spirit. I thank you that you have forgiven me. I thank you, Lord, that I have the promise of heaven. Help me to walk with you, to serve you, to follow you. I believe that by your promise, I've been born again. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
Praise the Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's all stand and close the worship song.